You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Good morning, Hope Assembly. My name is Christiana Storley, and I'm just so excited to be here with you this morning. So welcome to church. Um, yeah, I want to just, I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited that Pastor Ryan gave me this opportunity. I got excited when he asked me and I also got a little bit nervous, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but overall, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm humbled and honored to be among you this morning and to get to share a message. A little bit about myself, I am originally from Albania, Europe. It's a small country right in the middle of Greece and Italy. And uh, yeah, I grew up, I was born and raised there. I'm a PK, pastor's kid. Um, My dad passed away when I was younger, but um, yeah, I've lived there for 18 years and then moved to Oregon, lived here for 10 years with my husband, Jordan, and then we moved back to Albania. I've been with my husband for nine years and married, nine years married, and then almost 12 years together. And we have a little one and a half year old. Her name is Eliana. And boy, we love her. She is a character. She's a lot of fun. She's taught me a lot about myself and parenthood and God even. So that's always exciting. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Pastor Ryan told me you've been on a, a theme The theme has been the goodness of God. So I thought, oh, that's good because the whole Bible pretty much is about the goodness of God here. There's there's a lot we can see about the goodness of God in the Bible. And then I thought, oh man, I don't know if it is that good because then what do I pick? There's just a wide variety of topics we can talk about. And um, some of you might laugh today on what I'm going to be preaching on in regards to the goodness of God and the book I've chosen. Uh, But that is what has been in my heart. And I think God will speak to us this morning and um, he'll touch our hearts and he'll, he'll hopefully make us leave our TVs or phones or wherever you're watching this just being changed and being more like him. Uh, so let's pray. Jesus, we we thank you for today and we thank you for your church and we pray that you just are amongst us. You speak to us and through us and you just guide us to, to shine your light, to show who you are to others and change our hearts. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. When I think of the goodness of God, um, often what comes to mind would be, you know, the Gospels and the story of Jesus, where the goodness of God is just really easily visible and, and portrayed to us. But the book I've chosen to preach out of today is a little bit different. If you're familiar with the Bible, today I'm speaking out of Job. And when you're trying to find something about the goodness of God, maybe Job is not the first book you'd go to if you're 
trying to just be inspired and filled with joy and just filled with hope. <laughs> there is joy and hope in this book. It's just a little bit more hidden in a lot of suffering and a lot of, you know, weeping. So it's a little bit odd. I understand, but I want you to bear with me. I preach often at my church and I have a goal for everyone that gets to listen to a message that God has put in my heart. I want you to get off this room and remember something that I'm preaching today. So usually I don't let you hang on and have you figure out what I'm going to talk about. But right off the bat, I'm going to give you the three main things about the goodness of God that I learned from the book of Job and what we're going to talk about today. All right. I hope you're ready. If you have pens and papers, that's even better. But even if you listen to just this first five minutes of this sermon, then that's great. Then I will be happy that you've learned at least these three things about why God is good and how God is good. All right, let's get into it. The goodness of God is not circumstantial. And we're going to get more into all of this. The second thing I want to talk about is that the goodness of God is not defined by our opinions or our judgments. And the third topic or the third little part we're going to talk about is the, that God's goodness meets us in the midst of our doubt and our anger. It just meets us there. And if these three things are encouraging to you and hope giving to you, despite how the book of Job could be a little bit more moppy, then stick around. Let's get started. All right. Um, let's do a little bit introduction of this guy. Job, he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's, he comes from the land of Uz. It's how we say it in Albanian, maybe Az in English. I'm not sure. And he, we learned something about him right off the bat. So let's read Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And the man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay, so we know just a short introduction, but it's a big deal about the character of Job. He was blameless and he was upright. He was a good man. Nothing bad could be said about Job. He just was overall awesome guy. And we don't wait much before stuff starts getting to shake around. Um, something happens to Job. And here is here it is. So Job, we're still on chapter 1. And we're going to go to verse 8 through 12. And we read, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land 
but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is heavy stuff because we don't get to really look at Job, Job's beautiful, upright, and blameless life very much. We just see him get struck down right off the bat. And Satan here, it's, it's also named an adversary or an accuser. We're not certain, we just know Satan means a fallen angel, but it was someone that was ready to attack Job. There is something in this passage that is important to know about the character and the goodness of God, even though it doesn't look like it. When we hear the saying, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard it, God didn't cause this, but he allowed it. It's most likely something we've learned from the book of Job. God didn't cause this calamity to fall upon Job. Actually, he even like put a break to it by saying, spare his life. <laughs> so he was in control even of this situation. But what I want to really look at, because the first, the first topic we had was that God's goodness is not circumstantial, is Satan's response to when God says, have you seen Job? He says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. I don't think I read this fully last time. Um, maybe I skipped a verse, but I'm glad that I got a chance to reread it again. So Satan thinks that Job is faithful to God because of his circumstances. He says, do you think that he loves you for any other reason other than you having blessed him, having given him all this fortune, having given him incredible kids and life and a wife and, you know, animals and farmland and all of that. And that is where the goodness of God gets a little bit in question. So Satan is saying the goodness of God or God is good because Job has all of these blessings or rather Job thinks that God is good because he has had a really good life. And if he hadn't had a really good life, then he probably would think God is not that good. So before we, we stop or before we end with this first little point, I just want us to ask this question. Are we doing this today? And if so, let's reconsider why God is good. I've preached this topic so many times, not out of the book of Job in my church. And I think that the Albanians are probably tired of hearing me continually say it. But I think it's a question that almost we have to ask every single day. Why is God good? Is God good because, am I measuring God's goodness, in other words, because I'm having a good time and a good life? 
And when life is hard, when things don't go our way, when people we want to succeed don't succeed, when our kids are not following the path we wanted them to follow, when sickness strikes, when we lose someone so dear, is God still good? We can really go in depth on the answer of this question, but sometimes the easiest answer that I can give you is God is good because he says he's good and because he is true to his word and never changing. And that's where I hold my hope. So God's goodness is not based on our, our circumstances. And I would really encourage that we are careful when we describe God's goodness to others. It's good to say, you know, God is good. I've been blessed with a kid. God is good. I've, I have food on my table. I have a job, a job, <laughs> accent coming through. And, you know, I have all these things and, and I'm prospering and God is good. But let's be careful when we start to just always define God's goodness by our prosperity and by our achievements and what is good. Because to the next person that hears it, that doesn't have a kid, that doesn't have a job, that doesn't have a spouse and he's, he or she are wanting one, it's just going to sound like God is only good to certain people. So sometimes I just say God is good because he says he's good and I want to hold on to his word. And that is just the like cliff note, super short answer to that question. But again, just reconsidering God's goodness. Something terrible happens to Job. And I said that God almost not only didn't like cause it and think about all the things that were going to happen to him, which are terrible, but um, it also brings us to this point that this he was blameless and upright and this calamity did not mean that there it was a result of his sin. This is something else we do often as Christians. And it's quite unfortunate. We see something terrible happen and we immediately jump to this conclusion. They must have done something. Oh, these people are not following God. Oh, these people should start repenting. But if you want to be certain that there are people in the Bible that suffer great sufferings and are indeed upright and blameless, then look at the book of Job. So calamity and, and this terrible suffering does not mean always a consequence of sin. Whatever you're going through, sometimes it's just a consequence of a fallen world. It's not a consequence of immediate sin. And that's something else about the, that relates to the goodness of God that we should be super, super careful when we start sharing God with others. Um, that we're careful to just omit this part of you sinned, then that is why you must be suffering. But we'll learn a little bit more about what, what we should do when others are suffering. So let's go to the second point. Whew, first one is done. I hope that wasn't too long. And the second point was God's goodness is not defined by us or our opinions or our judgment. We're going to move a bunch of chapters later after Job has gone through so much suffering. 
from losing everyone to just horrible pains and and sores on his body. He can't even move. I mean, it is just everything is gone. Everything is lost. Everyone is gone. He's alone and he's hurting and he's physically hurting and he's mopping and he's just sad. He has friends. Thank goodness, right? Like when you see that, you're like, okay, good. God's going to start showing up here. Um, we're going to hear something great, but hold on. We're not to the good part of the story yet. Job has three friends that went to be with him. And here's what they did in the beginning. Let's look at Job 2, 11 through 13. And I'm going to try to read the whole verse without making mistakes this time. Now, when Job, Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. How incredible, right? That these friends that were close to him didn't do anything but remain silent. It reminds me when Jesus says, mourn with those who mourn. He doesn't say, make sure you advise or give your opinions to those who mourn, but rather, mourn with them. If you've gone through loss, especially of, of just really specific people in your family, you will know when I say this, you will have been comforted the most by the people that have gone through the same kind of loss as you. They just know, and most of the time they know not to say a single thing. When I lost my dad, he he was really young, he was 47, and I was just 11 years old. And I just remember, even as a little girl, even within, you know, my close friends and family, hearing two opinions, hearing the people that were just so sorry that we lost a father so young while we were so young. And then we also heard people that were like, ah, oh, he should have gotten that heart surgery. I wish he could have gone to the doctor a little bit sooner. It probably would have not happened. And the second advice is just not what someone wants to hear when they're going through loss. That's the way we represent the goodness of God. Because when we're mourning, God is slow and compassionate to meet us. And how we portray that goodness with others is important on how they see Christ in us. So mourn with those who mourn and try to restrain from opinions. But then <laughs> something not good happens. They open their mouths <laughs> and nothing good comes from it. They just start saying, all three of them, words like this. You deserve worse. You don't fear God. You better confess whatever you've been doing. 
you better quit complaining because it's terrible to complain. Uh, and then they, two, of, two of the three go through something even more dangerous, which just makes me cringe when I look at. Both Eliphaz and Zophar say something like, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I've heard a spirit tell me, I've heard a spirit say that you must do this because that is why God is angry with you. I've heard a spirit say that you're an unrighteous man and you should really start repenting. Whew. I hope this is not familiar in your life, but unfortunately, if you have been in church for long enough, it just tends to happen. Someone comes and instead of being in alignment with the word of God, and in alignment with what God has to say, they just tend to have opinions that are louder than that. Because this has happened maybe quite often, especially um, just in my generation or my time, I'm always hesitant, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm always hesitant when someone comes and says, God has told me this about you. I feel like there's a burden with it because I'm always like, okay, now whatever you said, I have to test against scripture. I have to test with prayer because I want to make sure you're not Aliphaz and so far telling me that I've done something I haven't or that I need to repent for something I haven't. Then that would add just tenfold more stress in my life. So. That's not just not the right time for Job to be hearing these things. He is just not happy about it. And he actually talks to them in reply. This is like a super crunched version of the book of Job because now we're on like chapter 16 and 17. But um, he talks to them and he says, you guys don't know what you're talking about because I know I haven't done anything wrong. And if you were with boils over your body and had lost everyone in your family and all of the things that you worked so hard for, you too would be crying your eyes out and talking to God and telling him, why have you done these things to me? Which this part is a little bit related to the last point I'm going to talk about. But let's wrap this, this second part on how the goodness of God is not defined by our judgment or our opinions. His friends did not get to have a say on how God worked in Job's life and how was God good or not good or angry or not angry in his life. Only God has a say on how he's going to work on someone's life and how he's going to impact that life and how he's going to manifest his goodness. Not his friends. We don't get to write little definitions on why God is good to such and such person and not to such and such. God speaks for his own goodness, not us, not our opinions. So... Another thing to be a little bit more cautious on. Then it brings me to the third and last point. We're getting there. And that was, let's look back, God, back, God's goodness meets us in the midst of our doubt and our anger. 
in chapter 16, let's get there. Chapter 16, verse 7. Let's read through a couple of, maybe two or three verses through to just get an idea of what's happening. Job starts to doubt God's goodness. And he says, surely now God has worn me out. He has made desolate all my company and he has shriveled me up and my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hates me. And my adversary sharpens his eye against me. These are hard words. And for us that read this, like post-Jesus, post having the entire Bible, it's just so easy to get so angry with Job, especially if you haven't gone through really hard times in your life. And if you haven't, great. I'm not, I'm not saying wait and see. I'm saying you're just re rejoice in that. But if you see this and you know that God is good, then it just starts to offend you a little bit. You're like, man, we're not supposed to talk like this about God. But here he is just being honest. And God's goodness, it is welcoming of our honesty and of our anger and of our doubt. The Bible talks about doubt a lot and doubt is not to be feared, is to be worked through. And it's not something that we shall be ashamed of and start avoiding and burying underneath. So this was Job in all of his honesty, just blaming God. And he continues to talk and talk and just let it all out. But you can tell just short, like. Three chapters later, he almost does like a 180 flip, turns around and says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. So even after getting it all out, man, it makes you believe, wow, they truly mean it when they say he was so righteous and blameless. Because even when he got it all out, he said, you know, my Redeemer lives and he will stand to the end of time, to the very end. Which, how beautiful is that? That that's just such a beautiful foretelling of Jesus. Jesus came once and he will come again. And I know my Redeemer lives, he says, despite all of this. But I still have questions and I still want answers. And that's okay. So to, to just breeze through this book, because it's a lot of chapters, I'm going to just briefly say there's another guy that comes in and his name Correct me how I say him because I say him like an Albanian. It's Elihu or Elihu. Um, he is younger than the other three guys. So he starts to talk to Job with a little bit of wisdom. And he starts to be like, you know, these other guys, they didn't treat you well. I'm not going to treat you as bad. But then he does the same thing, which gets even more depressing. He's like, you must have done something. I mean, clearly you need to repent. Clearly you need to change your ways. I don't know what to tell you. You just need to figure out what's going on with your life. So he wasn't much help either. But something incredible happens in chapter 38. 
Uh, let me give you kind of an overview. The book has 42 books, 42 chapters, sorry, and at 38, um, God speaks. <laughs> and if you have been reading this book like me for like, um, I read the Bible chronologically. So right at like Genesis 16, you stop and you go straight to Job because chronologically and historically, that is how it happened. It's like, this is the beginning of the year. I'm achieving my goals. I'm so happy and now I'm depressed for 38 chapters or 37 chapters until God speaks in chapter 38. And here is how we would expect God to respond. God has the right to be a little bit angry at Job because he's like, you know, who are you to talk about me like this? Who are you to ask questions? Who are you to like deserve any answers and such and such. But this is not the God we see in this story. This God, my God, responds to Job in such an intimate and personal way. He doesn't pour out his wrath on Job and his anger and starts condemning him because Job has just been opening his mouth maybe a little bit too much and gotten a little snarky. He just literally gets to be intimate with him. And he responds, but he doesn't really answer. And I think that would be so frustrating, but we'll, we'll get back to that thought in the very end of this. He responds and he says this whole, like for us, it's just a couple of chapters of poetic descriptions on his character. So this is how God responded. He says, first, I'm going to remind you of who I am, Job. And maybe that's not a question you asked, but I'm going to still remind you of who I am. And be maybe because Job was a little bit sarcastic in a lot of his talk, God gets a little bit sarcastic and it makes me giggle, but it's all in just a beautiful and poetic way. I'm going to read just a snippet of it so you get an idea and then we'll we'll try to close shortly. Chapter 38, let's say verses 4 through 7. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. There's a little bit of that sarcasm. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were it based? where its base is sunk, or who laid its cornerstone. When the morning stars sang together and all the songs of God shouted for joy. I want to read just a little bit more on chapter 39, verse 9 through 12. It says, is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will you spend the night at your manger? Can you blind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave to him your labor? I love the mansion of manger. I'm a massive like Old Testament messianic foretellings gal. So if I read that, I'm like, ah, Jesus was there when God was talking to Job. <laughs> and we just see a little bit snippet of that, of the redeemer, of the ultimate redeemer for us. But that's how God responds he just reminds him of his 
goodness and his sovereignty and his sovereignty over life. He mentions how he is sovereign over our lifespan. He is sovereign over when we get to live and when we get to cease living. And when we get to live, he's sovereign over the purpose that we're given at that time. I love that. That makes you not worry because someone else is in control of that. So I don't have to wonder. But it just says something so big about the goodness of God that when he could have been so horribly judgmental and condemning of Job, instead he just give this, gives this poetic response of love. And it goes on for, for many chapters. And Job is in the end in awe. And he says something like this. He says, therefore, in chapter 42, 3, verse 3, it says, therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust and ashes. Job is in awe of God's response, even though God did not give him an answer. So maybe you will be in this situation one day, or maybe you have already been. If you have been in times where you're just asking and asking and asking, and you are just not getting an answer, like a specific, specific answer about what's happening, maybe start looking for a response because maybe God's response is not an answer. Maybe God's response is him just revealing his goodness and sovereignty in your life. And that's something good to hold on to. That maybe not always do we get answers, but we're not here to get answers. We're here to glorify the Lord. And if we can, in his response, see his glory, then two thumbs up. That's great. So in this third point, what we can learn is that we can question God. We can doubt a little bit of what he does. He can take it. You know, he doesn't get offended. But rather than feeding our doubt with more doubt and more anger, just ask. Like Job says, I've asked and you have responded. And maybe it wasn't the specific answer I needed, but you showed up. God will show up. So God, in the end of the chapter, he deals with Job's friends. And he says, you three, you were terrible judges of our, my character. So you should go, you should make sacrifice, and you should repent. And then he just restores all of what Job had lost and more and blesses him like tenfold more. He draws near and he always was near. And for 42 chapters, there's only, I think, seven verses that talk about how Job prospered again and got to have a happy ending. So that's not a lot of just joy in the book, but this book has a lot to say about the goodness of God. And I hope that you got that today from this message. I hope that I was clear, despite the little bit of the accent I've had. <laughs> 
and I hope you enjoyed it and that you can jot down a couple of things and you can see the book of Job, read it from start to finish and apply a little bit of this, um, what we saw today in your life and how you share the gospel, the good news with others. Friends, the world is divided. The It just doesn't seem like we're moving in unity, but here's something that I will encourage you. If you're listening to this, I encourage you that despite the horrible things that are going on in the world, and I'll tell you something, it's not just America. We live outside of America and terrible things happen everywhere that are very different, you know, and they're, they're heartbreaking. We can just aim to have unity in the goodness of God. That's where I want to be united with you. Not in my opinions, not in my ideas, not in anything else, but that you and me share the covering of the goodness of God in our lives. God is good. No one that has lived in this earth has lived without experiencing the goodness of God. Even people that don't know God, even people that refuse to know God, God is still present. He hasn't allowed for people to be outside of his presence. So let's just make sure that we can spread that to others. I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and we pray that we just open our eyes to your goodness every day and that we just open our eyes to your sovereignty, push us to glorify you, lead us to praise you better, to to worship you better, to just seek you better rather than always look for answers rather than, you know, always look for, for blessings. Let us just be in this time of glorifying you and bless this church and bless, bless the people that are listening or not listening today in your holy name. Amen. Amen. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.